Hello and welcome to Pushing Faders, the podcast where we talk about broadcast sound. I'm Chris Eckford and first things first, is it too late to happen new year? That's, that's verging on Partridge-esque, I think there. Um, but yeah, it's nearly, nearly the end of January. Um, so yeah, uh, happy new year and I uh, hope everybody had a good Christmas. It seems like ages since I had a show out, which was uh, the middle of middle of December. And uh, if you listen to the Strictly show, then um, Richard and Andy were right with their guesses as to who's uh, who would win it. I just really would like to know who won the sweepstake. I really ought to ask them, you know. So yeah, mo- moving on from that, um, I'd just like to say again a massive thank you to everybody who's listened to the podcast so far. Um, everybody's got back in touch with me to say like, that they've been enjoying it, the feedback's been really good and I had quite a nice long chat in a drizzly car park at Tottenham with a camera operator about the show so that was quite nice as well and I have got some more shows already lined up I've got three or four in the can and uh, as, as they say and uh, yeah, a couple more um, prepped and ready to go with people to record with so without any more of me going on and on um this week's guest is Lynn Munro, who is the Centre Court Sound Supervisor at Wimbledon, amongst other things that she does. And just a massive thanks to Lynn for being the first guest of this year, and hope you all enjoy it. Hi Lynn, and thanks for joining me on the podcast. Um, if you could just start things off by telling us how your career in TV began. I don't know, I think like a lot of sound engineers, I was a really music-obsessed mm. teenager, and... Uh, Really into all that side of it, loved going to gigs and stuff. And I think originally I wanted to be a roadie, actually, and then I kind of noticed that they were all men. And um, do you know what I also loved, and this is a bit cheesy, but I used to also love shows like It'll Be All Right on the Night. Do you Mm. remember those kind of things? It used to be TV funnies and all that kind of stuff. And then um, I can remember doing a little bit of work experience at uh, theatres and things. I just absolutely loved it. And then uh, I did electronics and music at, at uni. And when I was graduating, just by some kind of stroke of luck, the BBC were taking on audio trainees. Right. And I thought, oh, no, I really want to do this. And so I ended up going as an audio trainee to um, the BBC in Birmingham. But, it, you know, it was called Pebble Mill then. Yeah. So, And it, it was actually a really, really great place to start because it was one of the few places where you were allowed to do radio and TV in studios and radio bees. So you kind of got to be part of an audio unit that, um, you know, that kind of um, gave you a really good look around everything. Mm. So, yeah, I was extremely lucky and I absolutely loved that job. So, yeah. Oh, good. And then I went, I stayed there for about four years and I absolutely loved OBs, actually. That was mm. the thing that I really took to. I really enjoyed the, the oh, I don't know, the kind of build process, you yeah. know. I absolutely loved that. I always found the kind of problem-solving aspect of it really, really fun and um, and really rewarding as well, actually. And uh, and so a job came up at O2-1 TV in Birmingham, so I joined them mm. and... That was great. That was really great. Absolutely I guess if you had the, I guess if you had the uh, early inclinations of wanting to be a roadie, then like OBs <laughs> is the roadie version of of working, is, working in TV. Yeah, totally. Lugging stuff around. Yeah. <laughs> so um, and yeah, so I was at Oto One for quite a long time and working as a guarantee engineer. But Oto One was a little bit different in that we also got to mix mm. and you know in a, of some companies a lot of the guarantee engineers don't get to mix. So. Mm really lucky in that respect and um 
I don't know if you were ever lucky enough to come across uh, John Clements in your your life in sound, but he was head of sound at O2 One, and he was absolutely brilliant for mm. me. He was such a good teacher, and he he really pushed me. He really kind of you know, yeah, <laughs> kind of trusted you just to get on with it, and you were you had to get on with it. You know, it was a really busy company, and you just had to be getting on with it pretty much from day one, really. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, what year was did you start at your O2 One? I started at O2One in 99. Right. So, yeah, and then I went freelance, I think, in 2009. Mm. So, yeah, so I did 10 years uh, yeah, of, of working there. And, uh, you know, it was really, it was really good. You had to kind of, it was pretty much your life, actually, mm. because you pretty much had to be prepared to drop everything and just go, you know, the next yeah. morning to wherever at some zero notice. Like the, that's the joy of working for an OB company, isn't it? That you, you sort of, Absolutely. You're at their beck and call most of, the, most of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you, you know, that, that can be difficult, obviously, at different points in your life, mm. that can be very difficult. But it also... It, you know, you're kind of in the thick of it at that point too. Mm. And, I, and I loved being part of, you know, being able to um, see jobs through from their very start to their very finish mm. and, and being responsible for them. I think that's something you miss a little bit when you're freelance. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you went freelance in 2009. Was that to pursue more of a supervisor role or was that to uh, guarantee as well? Uh, well, do you know what? Um, so Gravity Media bought Auto One and in the kind of last few years that, that I was at Auto One, mm. I was doing more and more work for them where I was being pulled away from truck jobs in the UK to mm. go and do um, jobs overseas, flyaway type jobs for them. Actually quite a lot on the tennis tour, on the mm. ATP tour. And I actually, I absolutely loved that work. I loved the whole kind of, you know, you get all your stuff turns up in a flight case. Like, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't. And then you've just got to get on with it, haven't yeah, you? Yeah. You've just got to make it work. And um, so I was doing more and more work for them. I also really, really enjoyed the travel, actually. Mm. And uh, one of their productions, we can give you as much work as you want, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, I did. So mm. there you go. <laughs> So, it's just yeah, yeah it's always a temptation when you sort of get that uh, carrot dangled about all the work then you think yeah it's about time i, I did that so is that setting yeah was that i think setting, it was the right thing. so is that setting up everything as a guarantee then or was the atp thing more of you did everything on on the job yeah i did a bit of everything so i did do a bit of guaranteeing like kind of in the you know you'd set up a kind of mcr mm. and then but i also did um you know mixing courts and stuff so anyway that was where i started out doing tennis and i probably did three or four years on the ATP tour, mm. kind of on and off it in various roles. And, um, uh, you know, it was great because, you know, with regard to tennis mixing, you got a chance to have a bit of a fiddle, really. There yeah. was plenty of time to experiment and, and see what worked and what didn't. And, uh, yeah, see what you thought sounded sounded good. Mm. And um, But, yeah, so it was a lot of fun, really. Mm. Hard is, work, but a lot of fun. And is that what sort of led you on to the Wimbledon stuff then yeah i think so i think so i mean i've kind of done um worked on wimbledon i think for uh 12 years or so mm. so um is that right yeah it must be about 12 years and uh 
Yeah, so started off at court two and then court one and then centre court and mm. uh, yeah, all good. Is that just a progression as in once somebody stops doing that? Yeah, then... pretty much. They're shoes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the case. It seems yeah. the case with jobs like that where it's like one person sort of retires and it's like right who's who's the next one yeah yeah and there's a reshuffle yeah yeah i was sort of trying to picture wimbledon because i've never worked on on it before i've had I've, it's one of those mm-hmm. things ever since i went freelance i've ended up on like um football tournaments in the summer so i've had a few like yeah, can you do wimbledon yeah. but i've never been able to fit it in but it, uh-huh. it give i get the impression it's a little bit like the um open where it's like a huge yeah. operation that yeah. you know it's, it's every year but it's like unlike a lot of big events where it's like every you know four years or two years or whatever that's like a huge event that's, that rolls in and every in and out every year where you know i think mm-hmm. the, the prep seems to go on for about a, a month before from what i, from what I can tell oh, from no, yeah, at yeah. least i think i think more like six weeks or yeah. so yeah i mean it's a, it's a it's a huge ob there's mm. no doubt about that i mean i think i think they cover I think it's 18 courts yes, that are covered. Yes, I'd literally just Googled that um, before. It was a quiz question on a TV show how many courts they have at Wimbledon and I couldn't remember the answer, so mm-hmm. I thought I'd better Google it. To, but yeah, it's 18 courts during the uh, tournament, which is, is massive really. And that's, you know, obviously that gets whittled down, I guess, as the tournament goes on to two yeah. or three by the end yeah. of it. Uh-huh. But there's also, I mean, there's there's, you know, kind of, huge amounts of um stand-up areas press conferences mm. all kinds of beauty cameras all with yeah. related feeds you know it's um well you know i imagine it is i haven't worked on the open but i imagine it is a similar a similar thing and it, it, so you know it's quite um it's a it's a really good obi to work on and obviously the world and his wife is there so it's quite yeah. a sociable obi as well yeah. and uh yeah, it's great, and but yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I've always really enjoyed it, actually. Mm. So, and from um, from saying before about being able to experiment, has it been sort of a basic setup for the last you know however many years, and then you've just been able to supplement it when? Because is it is it five point one now? Yeah, it's five point one. So it's yeah. been five point one for a while. Yeah. and uh, yeah, I think it's UHD HDR. I think that was the. The last, you know, because it's it's one of these events that, you know, you can kind of say, okay, it's the same every year, but actually things are being kind of tweaked and progressing yeah. year on year. I think, you know, Sam Broadfoot from NEP, who's in charge of it, kind of technically, mm. you know, is working alongside um, WBS, who have Paul Davis and mm. James Muir, I think, is their head of broadcast. And, and so I think there's every year there's like something new, yeah. like a little kind of step forward. And... And so, yeah, so last year, I think Centre Court and, and uh, Court One were UHD, HDR. Mm. And um, and uh, and obviously there's all these kind of trace court coverage and stuff that goes on now as well. So it's always quite interesting to see what the, the latest thing is, you know, mm. the kind of next step. And the, the coverage of it, it did change a bit when it moved, because I think I worked in the last couple of years being the BBC or CISLBs that were doing yeah. it. So it did. It did change when NEP took over, mm. and uh, you know, obviously, because they've got their own way that they want to do it, and uh, you know, it's been very successful. I was yeah. at, I was talking to Nev Hooper um, for the podcast. Um, it's not it's not come out yet, but he was uh, saying that one of the big things they brought in that they think was a good improvement was 
ident in every feed. So every feed's got its own name to it. So when somebody comes to take it on the morning, they can see that that is the correct feed rather than, you know, there being any sort of like concern that's just bars and tone for the for the morning. And mm-hmm. I think making a lot of it IPs actually helped with with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, you know, I just sit down and mix and all the clever stuff is done by uh, loads of NEP engineers who kind of live underground yeah. at Wimbledon. There's a kind of whole underground kind of broadcast centre. But yeah, I mean, Nevis obviously kind of, you know, oversees a lot of that. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that... that um, I think there's, there's a few things about tennis coverage, I think, that make it a little bit different. I mean, just things like... You know, your feed needs to be pretty much clean mm. from the moment you start until the moment you finish. So, you know, the rig has to be rock solid, really, mm. because really one lot are going off the course, the next lot are coming on. You yeah. literally might have, if you're lucky, a minute to sort mm. something. And if not, you've got to kind of find ways to squirrel that out. But I, you know, I'm sure that you feel this way too in what you do, that that we have to acknowledge that any sound coverage is a huge team effort, mm. it isn't it? And, yeah. and you know, the coverage itself is only as good as everybody's efforts, you know, mm. the guarantee and the engineers that are out in the field. And um, we only have two engineers out in the field at Wimbledon. It's pretty min- minimal. Yeah, so you've got yeah. one person on the court. So Graham Jacobs looks after the court and he's done it. He's done it for years, actually. And he's, you know, it's really important. He's established really good relationships, you know, with the kind of officials, with yeah. WBS, with the BBC floor managers, with the grounds people. Because hopefully, you know, they're the people that you need to call on in, a, in mm. an emergency. And um, and also Alan Gomez does um, commentary. And, you know, yeah. the commentary area at Wimbledon is minute it's really really tight and Mm. we've obviously got a lot of fiber racks and stuff in there and you know he's got a lot of very big personalities to deal with in a very small space and so it just takes a bit of you know there's always that kind of bit of a maneuvering really going on and and yeah so so I think that that I don't know, you know, I don't know, maybe more so than some other things. It's important mm. to have these good relationships with the with the, the, the sound engineers out in the field have with all the people around them, really. Yeah, especially like if it's yeah. rolling on and off court, you know, you, you know, you do need somebody who's, you know, a set, you know, from your point of view is almost floor managing it from your point of view where they can tell you, right, they're coming straight back out, you know, to get on, you know, this interview's yeah, coming yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. With- Mm-hmm. With it, with it being a, um, a the court coverage, are you sort of do you have the luxury of that is predominantly like eighty percent of, of of what you do for that for for your mix? It's not, you know, obviously do you have like lots of extra bits going on like world feed interviews and? Well, what what we do is so we have the the court coverage and the commentary is ours as well mm. and the on court interviews afterwards. Mm. So the interviews in. Prior to the pandemic, the interviews used to be done in an interview room off the court. Mm. Uh, and then because of the pandemic, you know, these interview rooms were literally like two metres by two metres. Yeah. So and because of the pandemic, you couldn't squeeze everybody that you needed to into a into that space. And so they started doing them out on the court. And, you know, that, that's that been a, a kind of real improvement because I think mm. the crowd really enjoy that, yeah. you know, really enjoy hearing it. And 
And also, I think it, it kind of, you know, it manages a little bit what the reporters are able to ask. And it tends to be much more of a kind of celebration mm. rather than a asking somebody about what they're wearing or, yeah. you know. Yeah, cause it, so it, so it, that, it, it, does, it does bring in the... Um more human feel of the players i guess if they've got like the crowd that they've got to react to rather than just you know just a report yeah. in a room with them yeah yeah and, and the atmosphere on center court you know is really great and, and one of the things that struck me when i went to the court first of all is that it's it's actually quite a small space you mm. know it's uh it's really tight particularly at the kind of service lines and so the crowd are on top of the players mm. and you know that all kind of lends towards it being this kind of you know when a huge cheer goes off it's really amazing you know yeah. it's really sounds great so mm -hmm. so from a from a technical point of view then what's the uh, setup around the court from your point of view Right, well, I mean, we have um, so if I start so we have mics on the service lines so so in the last couple of years we've managed to change by so the club um wbs are very particular about the aesthetic of wimbledon so yeah. that's something that we have to kind of compromise mm -hmm. on you can't really put your mics exactly where you want to put your mics yeah. um and quite often you can't have the mics that you exactly want to have either mm. so in the past what they've had are um mns's on either end and they kind of end up looking like a little ball yeah. covered in a green rye coat and uh i think i think it's normally like a hypercardioid kind of um is it an 80 80 50 i think it might be mm. an 80 50 and then um ambient make those little figure of eight mics that yeah. that go in that can make any gun mic into a into an mns mm. and then um, is it uh oh i think it might be a 208 right. possibly might be wrong with that but yeah so, so they've used those because they can fit them into a nice little neat ball mm. and i i was really keen for us to actually get rid of those and use four and sixes if possible mm. just to eat the end and um the club thankfully changed the way that the players come onto court and center court and it's now a gate that opens mm. from the far end in the middle of the screen so of course that was absolutely brilliant for me because it meant that we couldn't mount the MS in the centre yeah. anymore. So therefore we got to have our four and sixes at the far end. And um unfortunately at the near end, it was still an MS last year because we didn't have any way of mounting the four and sixes mm. where we wanted to put them. But this year we're hoping that we can make that change. And mm. I, I think that the, the, the MS is, you know, aesthetically they were perfect they were what the club wanted to see mm. but i think that, that that for us you know what we had on the desk chris as well you'd have the mns and then you'd break the m out again yeah. so that you could push that a little bit more for your serve yeah. but then what i also found is that you kind of needed to lose it or otherwise the return would often come back pretty wide yeah. and that would not be reflected in the sound at all if you don't get rid of that m you've just got far too much m in it and not enough yeah, 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 yeah. and you'd see the players like diving out to the side and it just wouldn't actually be reflected in how it sounded yeah, and it was monoed up slightly and, uh, yeah exactly and and, it, and um it was hard to get the width that you wanted in mm. the stereo really and um uh, kind of another feeling that i had too is that so these are mounted fairly high up and the crowd is just a couple of feet off them really mm. and 
So when you're trying to push that S to give you a wider stereo, you're just getting a lot more crowd yeah. on them as well, you know, a lot more crowd. And and I think with the four and sixes, with what we've been able to do with them, just we're not allowed to put them on the surface of the court. Um, the club won't let us do that. And so, but but just the kind of little bit of rejection that you get off the back of them, mm. I think really, really helps you because it's really hard to be able to get any differentiation between your your court effects and your your crowd yeah. with the way that the, the court is, you know. So um I I think that that's been really helpful. Mm. Um and so hopefully this year yeah we're gonna have four four one sixes with a bit of luck this year. It's like <laughs> Fairly okay. standard, but but you know what? I, I actually don't think in tennis that it helps to have too many mics open. Yeah, I think you end up with a wash of noise. So I think less is more. Mm. And and I, yeah, um, and I think you you know your mic placement is really important because it's it's super dynamic tennis, mm. and I think that you kind of you want to be able to let that happen. Yeah, I think. Yeah. You know, you really want the sound to kind of convey the kind of emotion and the mm. drama of the event. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like I think I think the Wimbledon as well, you know, it's kind of maybe got, you know, a little bit of a genteel kind of strawberries and cream type yeah. image. But I think that when you're talking about the play, I think it's really important that that you're conveying that this is an epic sporting event, yeah. that they, you know, that they are out to win, and it's there's nothing genteel about it. No. You know, that's I think I guess what you said about the dynamic range between you know, there's a lot of silence. Yeah, it was funny. I, I've ne I've not mixed tennis, but I've done. I did the Queens Club Press for Eurosport uh -huh. years ago, and it was the first year they brought out, um, or one of the first year or so when um, R one to eight came out. So the, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the, one of the MCR operators was keen through saying, "Oh, you, you're really quiet. You know, you need to, to get your." I was like, "Well, it's yeah. there's nothing else. Not, what do you want me to do? Like put tone out when there's nothing going on?" It's... No, no. But I, but I think the worst thing you can do is actually mess with that mm. too much. And and um, but that's where I think that that you know the placement of your microphones is so important because if you get your, you know, your four and sixes on your service lines bang on access, then you can actually hear that ball being mm. bounced. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's absolute silence, but you can just hear that ball mm. being bounced. And then, of course, you can have the off the scale loud cheering. And yeah. but you know that's where we're so fortunate, you know, with the quality of gear that we're using because you know with four and sixes. With a Calric Apollo, you can, you know what? I'm yeah. cool with sitting with some red lights on the desk. That is absolutely yeah. fine. But I think, you, yeah, you've just got to kind of put the luffs to one side, really, and not worry about it too much. Yeah, and, I think I think it was with it being the first year that they would, it, it was sort of being implemented. I think somebody was being a little bit uh, overly protective of yeah. them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, I remember those days. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny what you're saying about yeah. the, the, the back, re back rejection from a four one six because I, um, DPA have brought out a competitor to the four one six that offers even more. I think the, the information I got from them was it was um, they're targeting uh, boxing, you know, for like boom poles and I things. You can, it's, it'd be quite mm -hmm. interesting for like that kind of thing where you wanted a more directional, you know, pointing at the lines yeah. and stuff to see how, how it would mm -hmm. work with something like that. Um, yeah, definitely. Because I, th I think so too. That that, that you know that you know, as I'm sure you know from the stuff that you do, you you know, you're trying to keep a kind of 
reasonably even surround yeah. crowd noise. And so when you end up with like with so little rejection from your court mics and so much crowd on mm. your court mics, it just tips all of that out of whack a bit, doesn't yeah. it? And and it's very hard then to keep it as a kind of well, that's the thing. I, I, I've, I, I'm obviously mixing football quite a lot. I, I don't. I hate looking at the front left and right and seeing that it's pretty mono from the ball kicks. I'd rather mm. sort of hold the ball kicks back and let the crowd be there rather than you know have have the front left and right look like this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because it, it, at that point, it doesn't sound real, does it? You know, I, yeah. I think also you're getting rid of the point of having you know a five-one setup. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you make yeah, it too mono, yeah. what what do you use to build your five one? Is it a sound field or do you, do you put an array out? Yeah, we've normally got two sound field arrays up in the roof, and mm. I mean they're up in the roof and they're fairly inaccessible, and they're pretty much not accessible at all once the crowd are yeah. in. So that's why we've got two arrays up there so that we can hopefully um you know conjure something if one of them falls over. Is that one each so, end, or is that? Just... No, they're both in the same right. position, so they yeah they tend to be kind of like top left with mm. respect to camera one mm. so and and you know what that's purely because that's where we can rig them yeah. it's, it's one of those limitations really so but you know it's, it does tend, tend to work pretty mm. well yeah and, I mean, um, it's one of those nobody knows where you've rigged it when you're watching it back at home do they? so no exactly yeah. exactly and I, I think so so other stuff that we have around the court we tend to put an ecm you know, any old ECM will do uh, into the neck cord at yeah. one side. And that that's, you know, it's not got much gain in it, maybe like, you know, 24 dBs. And it's more of a, it's just getting that kind of contact yeah. as, it, as it hits the net or whatever. Mm. And then we have um, some more form and sixes on the umpire's chair, uh, a pair kind of looking into the court, which we call the argue mics, which are kind of for yeah. if your player kind of steps forward to have a good old argument with the umpire, hopefully you can get them on yeah. those. But they can also help you out a little bit with a bit of, um, you know, kind of near the net type play. Yeah. And uh, and then we have what we call the snoop mics, which are looking onto the chairs that the players are mm. sitting on, which get, you know, if they're talking to the umpire there and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But... Uh, I'm just trying to think what else we have. We have, oh, we have two eight one sixes mounted on cameras that are on um, Sheffield plates mm. to the left of the court, and um, I don't, I don't tend to sit with lots of them in the mix. Mm. But if I think they're really useful for if you ever feel because I like to keep it quite tight actually the mix, and then I think that if you ever feel like it's a little bit too tight, if you kind of just edge in a little bit of mm. those, it just seems to just open it up a degree for yeah. you without really having to change any of the rest of the that that you know your gain settings mm. or compression that you've got that you've got set up and um yeah I do, I do think that the tennis mixing is definitely one of those things where you can really use you know the headroom of the desk yeah to help you you know to help you kind of achieve what you're wanting to achieve and and I also really think that once you've got your mix set you don't want to be touching it that mm. much just 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 yeah. let it roll you yeah. know let it roll because you can hear those fades as well yeah you know, it's not... it, i guess it's, it's such a dynamic range between the play not sorry but you know bouncing the ball and no, no play really and then you know the crowd going absolutely mental because there's been a rally or whatever it's it, yeah. it, 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 from a sporting point of view it must be quite or a mixing point of view it must be quite 
the big one of the uh, biggest sports to have uh, one of the sports to have the biggest dynamic range between the quiet moments and the loudest moments yeah yeah i think so i think so and and that's also where you know your commentators come into it because when you've got good commentators mm. they obviously raise their voices yeah you know when, when you need them to and uh yeah and have a kind of broadcastable whisper level yeah. sometimes you you know suddenly you meet kind of you know inexperienced commentators and their whisper is actually a whisper yeah, and I, yeah. I get that when you're in that com box and you're right at the feet of the players you probably do feel like you need to whisper yeah. but um not helpful, is it? No. Not, not helpful. So, is that um, the, the commentary that you put on there? Is that like the world feed one, or is that the BBC? Do you put the BBC one on? Well, it is the world feed one, and it is also the BBC right. one. So, so it's what the BBC use, and mm. it is what goes out on the world feed. Because so, yeah. it's, it's produced by the, the, the production of it is Wimbledon themselves now, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, Wimbledon yeah. Broadcast Services. So that's been the case for a few years now. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I remember when that happened. It was uh, the BBC obviously did it for years, didn't they? And then yeah, they yeah, did, it yeah. went to them. Um, was it to do with the um, ECM? Is that literally just for the clipping the the? Yeah, yeah, for clipping. So, so literally, all you're getting it's more of a, a contact really than yeah. any kind of audio in particular that you're getting. So you're just getting that as it whips into the net or as it whips across the net or yeah. Mm-hmm. They're quite nice mics. Yeah. Because like actually, you'd be surprised sometimes without it, you don't hear it. Yeah. You don't hear it at all. So, um, and then obviously we take the umpire's mic, and mm. we tend to, um, you know, we tend to wrap our own ECM around RG Jones's mics. That we've got that as a bit of a backup. Mm. And um, yeah, yeah. Is there anything you'd like to change and experiment with next year? I managed to convince the club to allow us to move the mics on the umpire's chair from the back of the chair right. to the front of the chair. And you'd be surprised how big a deal that was. Mm. And But also just how helpful it is, like literally bringing them a metre forward. And that was last year. So that was yeah. really helpful. That was great. Um, I think I, I was fairly happy with how it was last year. Mm. Like I say, I think this year they moved to the four and sixes on the near side will mean that, that, that you know, we can pretty much leave that balance kind of up and running and, mm. and good. Um, it all seems to work pretty well. We do interviews on court, as I was saying. So mm. the, the stick mics are provided by RG Jones and then, you know, we take our feeds from them. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there's a few hangover mics that you still kind of get. You know, there's one, I think, which is reserved for Cliff Richards. You right. never appear. <laughs> I'd want to, uh, you know, have a song. Oh God! So, Imagine that. Yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, I think it's pretty. It's a pretty regular occurrence now. I and mean, it's been most most years he likes to pop up and do something. Yes. Got, what, yeah. um, what What do you have uh, to keep you occupied during a rain delay? Do you do anything in particular? Well, do you know what? There's a, the rain delays are pretty much a thing of the past when it oh, comes yeah. to centre court and court one because of the roofs. Yeah, and, true. Do you know, yeah, first of all, it used to take a while for the roof to shut. And then last year, it took about <laughs> 10 minutes. So we were quite often caught out a bit because you'd kind of nip out to get a coffee yeah, or something. Yeah. And then it's like, oh my God, we're back on. But um, yeah, it happens pretty quickly. But the roof is, the roof is an interesting does it change the dynamic much from from your mix point? It... Yeah, massively, massively. So, um, 
we have we've got a dns live that we do the thing is too is that you you have to hopefully get a moment with mm. the roof closed where you can do a learn on it have a listen to where you think that is make any adjustments you want to make because really once you're uh, on you don't have that opportunity because mm. your coverage has to be always good so you yeah. can't suddenly suck a load of stuff <laughs> in the mix without anybody noticing so um and then what we tend to do is as they're crossing the roof just wind that in slowly in the hope that nobody notices yeah. and um i think it just helps kind of cut down the reverberation in there it can yeah. be gets a bit reverberant and um and you know we've had some some nights that if i'm really honest it sounded pretty awful because there's just been such insane amounts of rain mm. on the roof and i think at that point about the only thing you can do is just lose as much of the effects from yeah. the mix as you can get away with there's just no point in pushing that i mean mm. it sounds like white noise really at yeah. that point or certainly you know take your crowd out as much as you can get away with and then you're pretty much dependent on the court mics and mm. at that point yeah the five one has suffered but it's that or yeah or this horrendous racket really yeah you, you almost and, um, uh, you almost want a, a low five one that a low sound field at that point don't you just to sort of think right I got this out yeah yeah i mean we literally have nowhere to put it because mm. we have thought about you know have we got any other alternatives and the answer sadly is no, no really with being able to get something because yeah ideally if you had, could have something just hanging over the crowd but not tucked up near the roof that mm. would be amazing but yeah we've yet to, yet to solve that puzzle it's, so i imagine it's all like committee meetings and you know to make one change from a yeah, yeah honestly you were yeah yeah and i mean i do understand that yeah. it's important to the club it's you know i think wimbledon prides itself on that aesthetic yeah. doesn't it and yeah. you know obviously you've got to be clear of any advertising as you you know will have experienced a lot yeah. with the footy and uh all of that kind of stuff is important so and it also it's important you know in terms of the players like you know you can't you can't cause anybody to have to do a detour around one of your mics. That's, no. uh, you know, not allowed. So no, so yeah, it's it's one of those uh, the, the perils of putting mics out into is whether someone's going to clatter into it for you. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, if I was in an ideal world, I would like to have the court four and sixes on those stands. Mm. But you know, at that point, you can get away with that a lot of the time. But you are also then, you know, a little bit at the mercy of the feet of the line judges. Yeah. And, you know, and, and on the ATP tour, I've seen like one of the players give them like a good old kicking. Like, yeah, about <laughs> the football. Good at the <laughs> You know, so, so you're kind of a little bit at the mercy of that, really. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. I mean, I was gonna say it's hard. Okay. It's hard. It's hard when you when you work on a sport where it's you know so aesthetically uh, perfect to to want to be able to make changes. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're pretty limited. But that the, the the discussion of whether we could conjure another five point one array somewhere away from the roof was, you know, that was something that I thought that we really could do with giving consideration to mm. but it was it's been 
cited as being pretty much impossible because right. there's, there's just nowhere to rig it from. Mm. You know, there's nowhere to rig it from. So, mm. so yeah. It's a shame that mm. when, because it, it, I think have, having the roof, I mean, it must make it a lot louder from the crowd as well when, when they, when oh, they yeah, start. Yeah, it's incredibly loud. It's incredibly loud. Mm. It does change the mix completely. But um, <laughs> it's interesting because I, uh, it's that thing too, isn't it? You don't often read comments where people have complained about the effects being too quiet. No. It's normally the other way around. Yeah, so yeah. if you're ever reading criticisms of the coverage of a sporting event, it tends to be that the effects are too loud and they yeah. can't hear the commentary. So I think that when the effects just turn into some kind of horrendous white noise, it's mm. just you've got to cut your losses at that point and just make sure that the you know what else you can get out of it <laughs> it's, it's funny as well because obviously it's, it's a, you're saying it's a, quite a small space if you think about like the millennium stadium i've worked there when it's had the roof mm. open and closed and i don't mm -hmm. think it really make it it makes it louder when the roof's closed but you can't hear what's going on outside whereas that's, yeah. that's quite a tight space where you've put a roof on it mm -hmm. and it you know it, it sounds like you're in a tent yeah the millennium stadium yeah i've already done that as well when the roof's closed it's quite interesting isn't yeah. it? it's kind of especially especially yeah. when it's like you know roaring welsh fans are you know the creator yeah, yeah absolutely incredibly loud yeah, yeah incredibly and loud it, it, it felt like everything was a lot more tight and closed in when the roof was closed mm -hmm. but then when it was open and the roof up being open sort of made it feel less um, imposing from a from a crowd point of view yeah yeah for I, suppose, sure. I suppose you don't get that with tennis you, know, you don't have particularly raucous fans do you <laughs> i suppose not rock, as I would say, no. but still enthusiastic. Yeah. So, you know, like I cheer from centre court. I mean, but, but, you know, as I was saying earlier, like I'm, I'm definitely very keen to just let that dynamic range go, yeah. you know. Oh, definitely. It's, it's just let the whole thing take off a bit, you know. You want to kind of, you know, I don't know. I think it's really important to use sound as a you know a vehicle to mm. show the the emotion of the event you know we yeah. can really make a difference in that respect there's nothing worse than a really flat sound yeah. <laughs> so, I, mean, I think that's one of the yeah. things from when i do football is it, having noticeable difference between when the crowd's not into it and when the crowd's going nuts like and it's the same yeah. with that the, the, the difference with with tennis i guess is the the crowd's politely quiet and then when something mm -hmm. happens, that's when they they start, and that that's mm -hmm. that's the emotion there, is it? Where you've got the tension of no no crowd noise, and then a sudden yeah, burst of it. Yeah, for sure. But I, th I think it's um, you know, kind of as I was saying earlier, I, I really like to get to that point where you're just not really mixing all that mm. much. You're barely moving it. Yeah. You're just letting you know, if you get your gain settings right and your compression settings right, you're just letting it go really. Mm. And uh, and yeah, and then really you're just kind of you know paying attention to what your commentators are yeah. are, are doing and where they're sitting really, and yeah. and uh, yeah, and you know, and kind of like we say as well, this is a collaboration. So so you know that the it's really important too to take on board kind of any feedback from rights holders, mm. you know, from the BBC, from ESPN, and I think if you know can't be too pig-headed about these no. things if people are not happy with it you've got to be like okay well let's make a change let's mm. see what do we you, can do now. do you get many uh people sticking their nose in saying oh you should just do this a little bit different no not too many actually no. i was surprised i thought there'd be a lot more <laughs> 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 no 
Not too bad, not too bad. And, and you know, depending on who it is, obviously there's some people that are more than happy to hear their opinion and mm. take their opinion on board. And then there's, you know, without wanting to be rude, if there's other people who you know don't mix really much, then I can, I'm afraid I just kind of smile and nod. Smile and nod and let it go. Yeah, yeah. De- definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, if, yeah. it's, you know, tw- is it 12 years you've been doing the ATP stuff now and all that? It's, you know, yeah. I think, well, I think, yeah. Well, you know, no, I haven't done about four minutes. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> what um, what other stuff do you do you work on? Of, well, the, 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 the... you know, kind of like yourself, you know, a lot of sport, just yeah. the, the bread and butter, isn't it? Yeah. Of uh, of obese, so rugby. It's, it's coming from the life of obese, and you sort of gravitate to sport. I think that's the. Yeah, yeah, and I do enjoy it actually. Yeah. Do you know what? I've never really enjoyed doing too much of one thing, yeah. so I like to kind of remain a little bit, you know, uh, more in the mix. So a little bit, you know, a bit of rugby, a bit of football. Uh, do the horse racing for mm. ITB, which I really enjoy. Just did the the Rugby World Cup for ITB, mm. which was really good fun and. Uh, but we, you know, we did it mostly remotely, actually, and we just right. went out for the quarterfinal. And, and um, yeah, uh, I do the proms, which yeah. I absolutely love. And, you know, the, the, there's the kind of various award shows, chat yeah. shows, kind of all that kind of stuff. Funerals, weddings. <laughs> yes, the, the, party the, the, there's been quite a lot of them this last two years as well. They have been three and plus. Do you still enjoy being on the road? I, do you know, I love it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had my son was born in 2011. Mm. And so I had to, at that point, I went literally from being hardly ever in the UK to trying to change work mm. to being just in London so I could be home as much yeah. as possible. And so that's kind of been, you know, and now as well, I'm a single parent. And so it's kind of, you know, it's more important that, you know, I can go and do some work and come back. Mm. But now that he's a bit older, I do I do go away a little mm. bit now. Not as much, anything like as much as I used to. And I do still absolutely love it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I do, you know, to the, the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup in Marseille. And, you know, you just have a good rig day. Yeah. And then we were down in the port to Marseille having a lovely meal and a beer and you just kind of think what's not to like about this yeah, job definitely. you know it's, what's it, not to like about this it's days like that that make up for the you know snowy days in places like Stoke and yeah. whatnot yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's, exactly it's interesting when sort of, you know you're saying about wanting you saw wanting to be a road and it, it like I said earlier it does give you that feel that working in TV is the especially in OBs is, is the roadie life of of the TV world and yeah, absolutely. I, I think it scratches that itch, doesn't it? So, yeah, and I yeah. think people who work on the road just love love doing it. Whereas, like you know, you have, especially like you speak to a lot of people who just work in studios and like, oh, oh, I couldn't do what you do, you know, in late nights. It's like, yeah, but it's, that's part of the enjoyment of it. <laughs> that's the buzz of it, absolutely. That's the buzz of it, and I think too. I don't know how you feel, Chris. I mean, I know that you've done time at Sky and everything, but. I struggle a little bit now to be in the same place for very long. Mm. Yeah, you know, it, um, there's no. I always feel um, there's no element of danger when you're uh, uh, working in somewhere that's been set up for quite a while. Yeah, totally. Because TV studios just tend to work, don't yeah. they? They just tend to work, and so you know you haven't got the and and for me, um, 
you know, the joy of the job sometimes is overcoming these problems, mm. you know, and the kind of buzz you get from, from, from um, you know, from being able to make something work and being able to get on air when, yeah. you know, it felt like the universe was against you, you know. So, I, think, I think we've all yeah. been there as well when you, there are the days um, I was talking to uh, the guys from Strictly, I said that, the, the the stories that everybody prefers are the ones where it's not been going very well and you suddenly get on air and, you, and it all happens. Yeah, the overcoming of adversity, I think, is, uh, you know, something that we all... It's, it's definitely so. what ma- it definitely what makes going working in a studio for a, a few weeks seem a bit sterile. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. A little bit dull. <laughs> I don't know if we're fools, but yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I love it. I have to say, sorry, carry on. Chris. I, I said I much prefer the danger of being on the road. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. I think I think it's um, it's more. It's for me, it's a lot to do with the pleasure that you get when you leave at the end of the day. Yeah. I think I think that it's much greater on a bees for me. And I actually I love being on site. I just mm. really thoroughly enjoy it. Mm. You know, it's got it's got yeah. a lot more of a. Uh, a fun like you know everybody that does it it has you know you tend to have more of a laugh i think definitely everybody's invested in it as well aren't they you know mm. so the last question i always ask people that have uh, worked on the road for some years is do you have a favorite service station oh well i used to always, when i lived in birmingham um used to be going a lot from london to birmingham driving mm. back and forth all the time and I, my eyes used to always shut just before Warwick services. So, right. Although it's not my favourite services, because I think everybody would go for, you know, the the, the tea bay services possibly yeah. with all yeah, the yeah. nice foods. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, but yeah, Warwick services used to have to pull in and get coffee. Yeah, mo- that's most most frequented. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're most regular customers. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel that with um, Newport Pagnell, that's my uh, most frequented one these days. But not my favourite, <laughs> it's, it's not very good at all. But th- thank you very much for joining me um, on this show. It's uh, been nice to have a chat with you. I think I, I, I always like, after thinking back to if I've worked with people, I feel I've done a BT Sport fo- uh, Europa League game with you. I think I've done a couple of footballs with yeah. you. I think where, you, where you've been matchmixing. Yeah, and I've w- been... W- West Ham, I think. In prayers. Yeah. yeah, I tend to try to only go as far as London when it comes to football, I'm yeah. afraid. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's that, that's, that's yeah. my uh, same with, I tend to try and stay within an hour of the house with the football, but yeah, it doesn't always work out like that. You know, it doesn't, but no, I'm pretty strict now with football, I'm afraid that I pretty much only take one sort of local, but um, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Well, well thank you very much for, uh, for, for talking to me today, it's been great. Okay, thanks, Chris. A massive thanks to Lynn for giving up her time to talk to me on the podcast. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much, Lynn. Wimbledon and tennis in general is something I've never mixed before, so it was quite nice to get a bit of a peek behind the curtain as to um, how it's done, especially on a big event like that. So that's it for this week's episode, but don't fret, because I know I can hear I can hear you all panicking. Um, in two weeks' time, there's going to be another episode out. Uh, this one will feature Nev Hooper from NEP. It's actually a conversation I had with him uh, recorded back in early December, but we're only just going to get released uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So until then, um, have a good couple of weeks and might see people in a car park by the bins and all that kind of thing.